Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Hello, Grace Aki. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm enjoying the sun. Um, I'm, I've heard that uh, the weather up north is like not favorable right now, so I'm happy to not be there. Uh, but, you know, I had tickets to shows, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it in the show today. Uh, but those plans have changed a couple of times, so staying here a little bit longer because I just, I'm holding out. I can't wait to see Strange Loop. I'm supposed to see that. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's been a wild ride keeping up with everything, especially just on the internet every day. <laughs> Yeah, uh, holding out for some sort of hero till the end of the night to get these shows back <laughs> up and running. Um, yeah, so we, I want to get into all of that stuff. But before we do, I just want to remind folks that I've had a couple episodes, special episodes drop in the podcast feed. I will be having one every single day this week. Um, so on Monday, I had a special interview with Michelle Collis Brooks, the, um, the playwright behind Hitler's Tasters which is heading to Theater Row. Then on Tuesday, I had an interview with Mary Weissman, who is the star of LCT 3's At The Wedding. Um, That show is on another COVID pause uh, until next week, but hopefully it comes back and you get a chance to see it because I love that one. I've got stuff coming up with AJ Shively of Paradise Square, John Riddle of Phantom of the Opera, um, Richard Hester, who is a... Um, a stage manager who wrote a book during the pandemic that's really fascinating. And then one that I think I've got coming on Friday, which is, as I teased on Monday's episode, an interview 28 years in the making. So, Are you uh, serious? I, well, oh, wait. You know what this is about because you were with yes. me when oh we saw this person. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, so it was I'm a really, really excited for that one. Yeah, it was a great conversation and one that is literally unlike any other interview I have ever done in my life. <laughs> So um, stay tuned for that one, which I believe will be coming on Friday, depending on how I organize these things. But lots of good stuff. That's going to be your Tell Me on a Sunday. It kind of is like a Tell Me on a Sunday thing. It is, (laughs) you know, sharing some mutual memories and uh, Mm -hmm. telling some stories and promising to uh, make some copies of photos from high school to give to the interview subject's mother. So we'll get to it. We will get to it. We will get to it. But, of course, you can listen to all of these episodes before anyone else if you head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. Uh, All right, Grace. So this first story today is something that I feel like you've been pointing out in different ways for months. Like, (laughs) not this, like, exact thing, but talking about this issue for a while. Because on... Uh, Tuesday, Michael Paulson from the New York Times wrote a story about the current dual tours of Waitress and how one of those tours is an equity tour. One of those tours is not an equity tour. And the actors and stage managers of the equity tour of Waitress have now organized in an effort to gain union representation, emboldened by the growing focus on working conditions in the theater business and by the successful organizing of other organizations in the world recently, including most recently in Staten Island, um, an Amazon warehouse mm-hmm. effectively organized a union. The 
What's interesting about this and what so, makes it so unique and gives them an opportunity to actually be successful on this is the fact that there are two different waitress tours going on right now. Stephanie Torns, who is my recent guest on uh, a special episode, is leading what they are calling a mini tour, which, of course, yes. Stephanie Torns was on in the Broadway production for its entire run. That, of course, is the equity tour. What is unsettling about the equity tour versus the non-equity tour is that according to this New York Times article, they the, the folks on the equity tour are making as much as three times what the non-union folks are on their yeah. tour. Of course, the you're nodding along, uh, agreeing. The <laughs> minimum for the equity tour is $2,244 per week. That comes out for a full year-long contract, which is not always the case, and especially this is a mini-tour, so, you know, it's not that. But that would come up to about $116,000 per year. Uh, the At one-third of that, that comes out to about $38,000 per year. Mm-hmm. Not a great comparison between the two, but it makes it for an interesting argument as uh, Actors' Equity is representing them in a, a, a petition to hold an election in front of the National Labor Relations Board. The last time that Equity tried to do something like this was they attempted to organize a non-union tour of The Music Man 20 years ago. That was unsuccessful. But given the obvious comparison between these two tours and the fact that these tours are essentially the exact same show, in fact, members of the non-Equity tour have been helping members of the Equity tour learn the show. And when, I don't know if it was COVID-related or they had some people leave the Equity tour, they have brought people from the non-Equity tour into the Equity tour. So it's really, really messy. Um, In a tweet after this uh, article was published, uh, Actors' Equity President uh, Kate Schindel said, in all caps, she said, this is a very good day. So proud of these actors and stage managers for recognizing that they deserve better, seizing their power, and scary part, taking the steps to achieve fairness, dignity, a voice, safety, living wages. Let's do this. Hashtag equity strong. Now, Grace, you have been kind of uh-huh, uh-huh, confirming everything that was being said. Tell me your <laughs> thoughts and where your, you know, where your insight into this comes from. So I can't tell you where, but um, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, so the the non-equity tour uh, of Waitress that launched last year, before we ever knew that, I mean, some of us knew, but yeah. we didn't know that, you know, it was going to come back to Broadway, um, that eventually they would spin off and do this mini tour, which was like decided fairly recently. Uh, But when the non-equity tour was created, it was a pared-down version of the show. There were different set pieces made. Um, The the string of events... No automation. No automation. The string of events that have occurred is that the Broadway company once... like, And I'm talking about this new Broadway company that we just saw, that you and I saw uh, just several months ago. Front Row Foxes. uh, That we just saw was the same pared-down version from the non-equity tour. So the non-equity tour had to teach the new Broadway company their version. So they all had to learn a brand new show, which is why some people didn't even come back. uh, Because they were having to learn a new show... That was not the show that they had previously done. If they had done it from ART, even on Broadway, that was a different show than what they had to learn uh, because the non-equity version was always a pared down version. That's how it always is for uh, most touring companies is that they have to make adjustments because houses are different every city, blah, blah, blah. Um, Okay, so now then they launched the the tour of semi the Broadway production. But guess what? The Broadway production that you just saw was basically the non-equity tour. So those people are more equipped and more skilled to teach and be in this 
quote, mini Broadway tour. And what's challenging about all of this is always the rhetoric. Because most of the uh, producers, and, and we know the producers that we're talking about, I don't have to talk about them. Uh, right. Um, they know well uh, that the, the companies are going to have to, like, kind of help each other and fix each other, but they can still use this as the Broadway tour. I saw the same thing happen with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Broadway tour. That's not an equity tour. You are misleading people into thinking that what you are seeing is the same level of, and I'm not talking about the talent level. I am never talking about that. Those people are incredibly talented. Um, just because yeah. they don't have their equity card does not mean that you are seeing a lesser version of the show. So I just want to be very clear about I, saying that. I, I will say, I just saw the Cats national tour. It was a non-equity tour. They were insanely talented like i that was as good of a tour as i've seen come through orlando in a long time so yeah exactly so i never i never want to be misconstrued to to that rhetoric but i have to say that like what's interesting is that like so many times we launch these like big broadway tours but they're not getting paid fair wages you know and and a lot of us have to pay our dues so to speak and like try to get that equity card later on and get the points and all that stuff so i really appreciate that they are that hopefully the the mini broadway tour company is supporting this effort to to make sure that their um uh, colleagues can get paid the same amount if not you know uh, just a more suitable wage because it's true like they they have already launched this tour and yet the other uh, half of the same tour because it's the same tour that's that's what's really challenging about all of this is that it's the same tour and I could be very wrong I don't think I am but <laughs> from all the knowledge that I have of these uh, properties because I know people that were offered this tour and then they were gonna you know go from one tour to the other one it, it it's the same show because that what they learned on Broadway was what they had just done in this non-equity tour. So I really support this. I'm really curious about the precedent that it would set um, if it actually goes through because um, you're right, like many, many years ago. And again, like when you sign on to do a non-equity tour, you're doing a non-equity tour. Unfortunately, you are agreeing to not the same wage that you would get even off off Broadway. Um, you don't have the same protections. You don't have the same rights. You don't have the same hours. You you are not getting paid a living wage. Like there are so many things that unfortunately you have you have agreed to sign on to. Nobody agrees to sign on to a working condition that's not safe. But um, I can't tell you a time when people have felt uh, respected um, in one. So it's really challenging. And um, again, this is just my tiny, tiny, tiny perspective uh, from information that I have from from friends that are involved in this. But um, it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because I don't have a problem with non-equity tours. I, you know, they, they always say, you know, ask if it's equity. Of course, I want to know if it's equity. But like, I understand that some of these tours if they were forced to work under equity contracts, wouldn't happen. So that means fewer jobs. That means fewer people being able to see shows um, around uh, the country and, you know, maybe some, you know, tour stops being, uh, you know, not having as many shows. So I understand that those fill a need, but you're right. The fact that they are able to bargain basement them and not only not pay them a living wage, but also not, you know, help them with health insurance and and not being safe and the the travel and having to kind of like do these in crazy shows at night and then travel all day to do another one night stop. Like there needs to be some sort of way to balance the scales on this. And hopefully this is the first step in that direction. Yeah. And I just want to lastly say the the biggest component in all of this for me has always been the the set crew because their breakdown mm-hmm. and turnaround process is not the same as actors. Actors can like get on a bus and, and you know, recoup that way, even though that's not the best way. Uh, like you said, with traveling, these people are having to turn around sets and 
installs and takedowns in insane amounts of time. So I really hope that this also kind of like factors into that um, as far as, you know, equity goes. So, but fingers crossed, we'll keep you updated. (laughs) Yeah. And of course those stage crew have, that's a completely different union. That's not equity, but if the equity gets the changes um, to, uh, if equity gets the changes on there and that can impact the, uh, you know, the rest of the production as well. So, all right, Grace, let's stick to the topic of business because yesterday we got <laughs> your favorite, the latest round of Broadway grosses. And with a number of shows having to cancel multiple performances, things were down a bit as the main stem saw a 2% reduction at the bottom line as Broadway's 31 shows collectively lost roughly $490,000 to come in at $28,329,869. Attendance did increase by 1,203 audience members in capacity rose from 85 to 87%. The Music Man was again on top of the heap, grossing $3,324,371, followed by Hamilton at $2.2 million, despite their first Ham performance since the pandemic, so that obviously hurt their, their total grosses there. Then there was The Lion King at $1.87 million, followed closely by Wicked and Cursed Child at $1.62 million to round out the top five. The other shows north of $1 million last week in descending order were Moulin Rouge, Six, MJ, Funny Girl, Aladdin, and Funny Girl and Aladdin both only had seven performances, so that's noteworthy. They were followed by Town and Book of Mormon. The top-grossing non-seven-figure show was Mr. Saturday Night, which was just shy of 885K on the strength of seven previews. Of course, Beetlejuice was back on Broadway for just two performances last week, but they grossed $395,704. And that's they were, right, sucks yes. Yeah. But they played it, of course, to full capacity at the the tiny and intimate Marriott Marquis Theater. Um, I love it. I love a small, intimate Broadway house like the Marquis. <laughs> yes, it's old. It's it's historic. It's super character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hangman was the other show to begin performances last week. They did $88,845 on two performances. Now, of course, we did have shows that had to miss performances last week. Plaza Suite with only three performances under its belt, including one in which uh, Michael McGraw replaced Matthew Broderick. They did $547,536, while Paradise Square, ooh, they only did three shows, and they pulled in just $80,612, which is rough. They are currently scheduled to begin performances back up on... Saturday, if they don't have a significant turnaround, I imagine, you know, looking forward to those Tony nominations, if that doesn't give them a big bump, I I find it hard to believe that this is running past the Tonys. Maybe it closes on Tony Sunday. Um, They need to really have a miracle of epic proportions, like a bigger miracle than Gentleman's Guide kind of thing. But uh, they're really, really struggling right now. But some other quick notes, Grace. Um, at their $1.34 million gross last week, Six had its best week of 2022, and it played at 100% capacity, so good for them. Also, Lion King and Harry Potter both saw jumps of more than $220,000 last week, which is interesting. I don't know if that's spring break related, but I feel like it was already spring break, so kind of interesting. Uh, Tina, Wicked, MJ, and Dear Evan Hansen, which I talked about last week, a couple of those I was worried about their ability to hang on. They all rose by $100,000 or more last week as well. All right, so let's talk about some of these other show and casting news bits. Do you want to start with the 
the normal news, the good news, or the bad news? Oh, let's start with the bad news. Okay, the bad news is, you actually already mentioned it, is that due to continually evolving COVID cases in the company of A Strange Loop, they are now scheduled to begin their Broadway run on Thursday, April 14th. Um, They were supposed to come back on Tuesday night. That is not happening. Of course, if you had tickets for any of the canceled performances, you can either exchange them or refund them at the original point of purchase. Now, let's go to the opposite end, going from the bad news to quite possibly the greatest news in the history of all of the Broadway On Tuesday night, as you well know, if you are not celebrating in one way or another, Pamela Anderson is making her Broadway debut at Chicago on Tuesday night in the role of Roxy Hart. She is being joined by the recent queen of the underworld, Lana Gordon uh, and Ryan Silverman. Um, She is in the show through June 5th at the Ambassador Theater. I feel like I got to kind of try to see this. Um, Oh, Matt, am I going to get you to see Chicago with me? (laughs) I'm going to try. Like my schedule for later this month, I come Mm -hmm. in on a Saturday, but my flight doesn't get into like 1230 p.m. So it's like I'm not scheduling a matinee, but like Chicago has the latest Saturday matinee. It's only like at 230. So that's a tough thing for me to get from the airport to the hotel to the ambassador, but I might try to swing that. So we'll maybe we'll do a double header of that and uh, a perfect crime or something. So hold on. <laughs> Don't even joke with our listeners because I swear to little baby Jesus himself, we will do that. Like we will we will record in between. We can record at the end of the night. Like we have to do first thoughts. Like I'll bring my little road mic. That's you know what? I'm sorry. I'm bullying you. This is happening. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk continue. about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So <laughs> um, on Monday's show, Ashley and I talked about the annual paper mill playhouse emoji game where they gave out emojis talking about um the upcoming season that they would be announcing they actually did a revision of that a couple days later where they added a extra emoji to each one that made it a little clearer so i got all of the shows except for one uh the one that i did not guess will actually open the season that is on your feet that will start the season on october 7th um that'll be followed by a new production of the sound of music that'll kind of be their holiday show starting on december 2nd and running through january 1st then we will have the kind of the highlight of the season and the one that Paper Mill was already announcing last year, and then they kind of stopped talking about it because the lead, yeah. yeah, Disney told them to <laughs> shut their damn mouths. Um, this will be the, um, I guess this is the indoor premiere of Alan Menken and David Zippel's uh, musical uh, of Hercules that we, of course, saw at Shakespeare in the Park, directed by Lear de Bessonet, who will return for the staging. No word on any members of the cast from that uh, public theater Shakespeare in the Park production will return, but I would be shocked if uh Jelani Aladdin did not return to the role of Hercules. Krista Rodriguez just booked know. a TV show, so I'm not sure if she will I be involved. Do you think I'm wrong? I think you I think you're so wrong. Yeah. I'm going to say it. You don't think Jelani's going to be in it? Is that what nope. you're saying? I'm saying that. I am saying I don't think it's him. Oh, well, and I'm not were... I'm not I don't even have privileged information, but I am I am putting this out into the universe. I think it's going to be Mason uh Reeves as Hercules. Yes. One thousand percent. And I don't even like I'm friends with him. I've not even asked him about this. Like, that's not something because we've had him on the show famously. 
Um, I think now that he's a Disney baby, I think he's perfectly primed and perfectly age appropriate. He can look lanky. He can also look super, super tough. I think that this would be the perfect vehicle launch for him into like principal Broadway stardom. And I think that this is that moment. I think I think it's happening. So you're saying tour Kristoff will be replacing Broadway Kristoff. That's 100% what I'm saying, yes. Okay, we will see. Um, I also am going to go on a limb and say that Shakespeare in the Park Hades will not be reprising his role. That, of course, was Roger Bart. Um, I think he's going to be busy doing Back to the the Future, the musical on Broadway. So we will see what happens there. Um, Also in the season is the Ken Ludwig uh, adaptation of Agatha Christie's uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Mm -hmm. There was another production at the Carter Center, I believe, in New Jersey a couple years ago, starring Al Silber and Mm -hmm. uh, Max von Essen. So we'll see um, what's going on with that. And then they will close the season with a production of Rent. So uh, pretty good season over there at, uh, at Paper Mill. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about in this show and casting section is a fairly vague announcement that was put out uh, on Tuesday, and that is that director Rob Ashford will be helming a new production of a new story centered around Sherlock Holmes. The show will be developed in London before heading to the West End and then presumably Broadway as well. This story is not connected to any of the previous stage adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. At one point, we were supposed to have a Broadway production of Sherlock Holmes that that featured um oh the Arquette what's his name who was in Scream and was married to Courtney Cox David David Arquette I was supposed to start David Arquette um I've been watching Severance so I've only been thinking about never his sister been kissed. come on never been kissed never seen which it. should be a musical I'm saying it anyway okay all right there you go um but it'll be written by the writing team of Rachel Wagstaff and Duncan Abel and Akram Khan will be a choreographer, which is kind of interesting that they've already, they've they've got a choreographer listed on this team. But um, the way they describe the show is staged as a mystery within a mystery. The case presented to Holmes forces him to confront his murky past. But is the unraveling of his childhood just a dangerous diversion? Sherlock Holmes is an original tale, which will offer a new and deeply theatrical exploration of the mind of the famous detective. Well, while remaining faithful to the mysterious world created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Now, you know, as well as anybody, because we saw a Sherlock Carol together, how much I love all things Sherlock Holmes. So um, I am uh, excited to see what happens with this. Yeah, but Tom, Tom Sesma isn't in it, so I don't know. Tom Sesma, as far as we know, I mean, as of now, no casting has been announced. So who knows? You know, he would make a good Hades. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep going with the news. <laughs> he would make a good Hades in either Hercules or Hades Town. Like... <laughs> <laughs> or at the same time. I mean, do both. Oh. I, I here's you went out on a limb with Mason Reeves. I'll go out on a limb. I would bet you that they do some sort of non-traditional casting with Hades in the Hercules musical. Whether that is a non-binary or a trans actor or even a woman, I bet you they go somewhere completely different than James would uh, slash Roger Bart. I bet they go somewhere completely different think, with that cast. I think you're doing the wishful thinking thing and not remembering Disney. But I would like for you to be right. I yeah. I think with Lear de Bessonet at the helm, like I think that that could could potentially happen. So okay. we will see. We will see. Um, all right. I want to wrap this up, Grace, with a little conversation because you are much more on the producing uh, side of things than I am, even though I've been doing this damn show for six years and all I want is to be brought in as a producing consultant or something. It's all I've ever wanted in my life. I want to be a producer. Um, but 
Yesterday it was announced <laughs> that despite the fact that they were having to push back their Broadway premiere by a couple of days, a strange loop has brought on a couple of big name members to their producing team. That includes RuPaul, Jennifer Hudson, and Mindy Kaling and others. So I, I okay, maybe they're putting in money of their own, which is great. I mean, but not necessarily. But what is the advantage of having these big name producers? We saw John Legend come in to Ain't Too Proud before it closed. Is it just to get like some marketing buzz? Because like there's like there's there's other ones like Pasek and Paul signed on, Alan Cumming, Alana Glazer, Billy Porter, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Yeah, it's like so. Is this just Mark to be Black. like yeah? Like is it just to? say, hey, these people are involved. We can trot them out at events. We can talk about them. They're in a press release. Or is there something more substantive to the development of this show that you think these people can bring that normal deep-pocketed producers can't? So it's it's really, it's it's not only just not about money. Um, it is the name. Uh, for example, like I'm going to see that show at the Cherry Lane, Oh God, a show about abortion. Right. And it says like Alana Glazer, presents and the way that that even happens is that like that means that not only does that person have notoriety because um the you know the the playwright is not as as you know famous as ilana like as soon as she slaps her name on it people are included but she basically um what's happening here is that that means that like they are getting other people signed on to invest probably um and it kind of just gives them more clout uh, those people also would then be eligible, I believe, for a Tony. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of like shiny hardware involved. Yeah. Looking uh, at you, Whoopi Goldberg, who has a Tony for Thoroughly Modern Millie. Who also should have gotten a Tony. Did she get a Tony for Whoopi for her solo show? Uh, I don't it's know. It's incredible. Anyways, sorry. Continue. <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned um, the Alana Glazer, um, oh, it's a play about abortion thing. Like we saw Alex Edelman off Broadway and that was a Mike Birbiglia presents thing as well. So very similar things. there. So it's, it's, it's about the marketing and obviously if they're putting any more money, but the lead producer can say, look at all these big stars when they go out and try to get money from other folks as well is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously- Soup's excited about A Strange Loop. I've got my ticket for when I'm in town, and I uh, cannot wait to see it. But that's uh, some interesting insight from there. Yeah, hopefully I'll get to see it Thursday, like you said. Um, the, the... We'll see. We'll see. All right, everybody. That is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Grace, where can people find you? You can find me at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful Wednesday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>